Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What is in a food that is health promoting? So that's nutrients. What is in this food that is going to provide the raw materials that my body needs for all of the chemical reactions that are happening in it in every moment? And so what's in that food that's going to nourish my body with vital nutrients? And then what is in that food that might undermine my health? Cue music. Places, everybody places. We're starting in three, two. It's time for Life Interrupted Radio, a show dedicated to practical skills for your mind, body, and soul. We're hoping we'll go in one ear and stay there. Here's the host of the show, Sharon Saylor. Welcome to the Autoimmune Hour on Life Interrupted Radio, where we look at the rise of autoimmune disorders. The NIH estimates nearly 24 million Americans have an autoimmune disorder. To put that in perspective, cancer affects about 9 million and heart disease up to 22 million. You'll be as surprised as I was to find out what autoimmune entails. I brought together top experts that range from doctors, specialists, nutritionists, researchers, and even those recovering from autoimmune to bring you the latest, most up-to-date information about autoimmunity and how to live your life uninterrupted. So let's get started. Welcome, everyone, to the Autoimmune Hour on Life Interrupted Radio. I'm your host, Sharon Saylor from SharonSaylor.com. And oh, my goodness, it's my weekend. I hope it's your weekend, too. Oh, I'm settling in here. I'm so excited for tonight's guest that instead of tea, I'm settling in with an organic bison bone broth. I'm excited to honor our guest with my uh, little bison bone broth. And so that's what I'm cuddled up here with tonight. What are you cuddled up with? I am so excited. I have actually been after this guest for a while, and I'm so glad in her busy schedule she was able to find some time to share with us because she is just a wealth of fantastic information. As you guys know that I'm really a stickler about diet and autoimmune and that diet makes up a huge, huge part of how I'm feeling well or not well, and I can tell when I've sort of splurged or, or gone off what I know that I should be eating and it shows up as inflammation very quickly and that's why I've been after Dr. Sarah Ballantyne to be on our show. She is the creator of the award-winning online resource thepaleomom.com. She's the co-host of the syndicated top-rated The Paleo View podcast, a New York Times best-selling author of The Paleo Approach, The Paleo Approach Cookbook, the Healing Kitchen and creator of the online program Go to Bed. Sarah earned her doctorate degree in medical biophysics at the age of 26 and spent the next four years doing research on critical care medicine, innate immunity, gene therapy, and cell biology, earning a variety of awards for research excellence along the way. Sarah's transition from academic researcher to stay-at-home mom to award-winning and internationally recognized health advocate and educator was driven by her own health journey, 
which included losing 120 pounds and using both diet and lifestyle to mitigate and reverse a dozen diagnosed health conditions. So she really knows what she's talking about, and I'm so thrilled that she's here. Welcome, Sarah. Thanks for finding the time. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really pleased to be here. Let's start a little bit with your own story. I know you said you lost 120 pounds and that you learned to use diet and lifestyle to mitigate your a dozen or so diagnosed health conditions. Tell us a little bit about your own story and some of the aha moments you had as being, I'll say, on the opposite side as the patient. I grew up overweight. You know, I was also tired all the time. And I had all of, I have Hashimoto's thyroiditis. So I had all of the hypothyroidism symptoms, basically from puberty onwards. You know, I had dry, brittle hair. Um, I could never grow out my fingernails. My eyebrows would periodically just sort of fall out in the corners. I was always, you know, I had real issues with constipation and migraines and Uh, mild depression. And, you know, you kind of look down this list of hypothyroidism symptoms, and I could check off pretty much every single one, even if some sort of would come and go. Most of them, it was chronic. And yet, you know, I was not diagnosed until my late 30s. And even though I had a couple of times in my 20s where a doctor would say, oh, this, you know, sounds like it could be thyroid, let's do some testing. They always did, you know, the very, very standard T4 and TSH test, and my numbers were never crazy. So there was never a doctor who would dig deeper until till I hit a point where I had already educated myself and was already making health changes, you know, diet changes and lifestyle changes, and had already started this journey of reinventing myself from an academic researcher to more of, in some ways, like a science translator. I'm more... I love that title, science translator. So it's more the uh, bridge between this academic world that I used to be deeply entrenched in and the average person. I was already far into that journey when I was able to get a diagnosis through a functional medicine specialist who was the first doctor I ever saw to do more detailed testing. And so because I spent 30-ish years with hypothyroidism that was undiagnosed, I became very defeated. And I, you know, as a teenager, you know, I did the sort of yo-yo diet thing, but with hypothyroidism in the mix, it wasn't the lose five pounds, gain 10. It was lose five pounds, gain 30. Wow. I was morbidly obese by my late teens. You, nothing worked. Nothing I ever did help. My mom, you know, we weren't gluten-free or anything like that growing up. We didn't have that kind of recognition of healthful foods versus non-healthful foods at, at 40 years ago. Certainly not that I have and my family has today, but we grew up actually very, very poor. So we were growing our own vegetables organically in the yard. I lived close to the beach. So we were going down to the beach and collecting shellfish. We were fishing. We were going through the woods and picking wild mushrooms. As a four-year-old, I could identify the local edible mushrooms versus the local poisonous mushrooms and you know, wild <laughs> ramps and, and berries and dandelion greens. And, you know, we grew kale year round because we were in a climate in the Pacific Northwest that does that. And so, even though that was rounded out with my mom's homemade bread from the times when it was cheaper to make homemade bread than to buy it. My mom would buy these 50 pound bags of potatoes, carrots, rice, and lentils. And those would be the filler foods in between 
the stuff that we were growing or gathering ourselves. And so we grew up, you know, my mom was pretty crunchy granola. She still is. That was always something that was on her radar. One car for the whole family, which meant that my dad would use it to go to work and the rest of us would walk everywhere. As a kid, we didn't have a lot of toys, but we, my brothers and I had bikes. I would get home from school and hop on my bike for two hours. So I was an active kid who ate, by today's standards, a very nutrient-dense diet, even though not perfect for somebody with a genetic susceptibility to autoimmune disease. The weight gain didn't correlate. But at the same time, because I was gaining weight, there was a lot of blame. And the blame came from a lot of different places. It came from my mentally ill grandmother who would do the whole like, well, you must be sneaking food. You must, you know, right? That <laughs> right. thing. It We're came from Hoarding doctor, your Halloween candy all right? year long. <laughs> exactly. It came from my doctor. Well, you know, just eat less, right? And it came from a lack of information. Instead of looking at my collection of symptoms, and I mean, as a 12-year-old, 13-year-old, I wasn't going to tell my doctor I was constipated. That wasn't information I was going to volunteer. Well, you know, that's hard for even adults to volunteer. So totally understand a teenager <laughs> saying that. I mean, to give my, my childhood doctor sort of the benefit of the doubt, I don't think I realized things were symptoms that were symptoms. I didn't know anything different than my fatigue level. I just was a kid who slept all the time. And we now are recognizing that there's a lot of Hashimoto's thyroiditis in my family. But in those days, we didn't know that yet. And what we saw was, yeah, constipation runs in the family. It must be a genetic thing. Yeah, our families, we're just a family of sleepers. Well, no, I'm exhausted because my metabolism is tanked because my thyroid's not working properly. But we didn't have that recognition. And the end effect of that was that I felt it was my fault. You know, I would save up my 60 cents to buy an ice cream sandwich from the school canteen. And I'd probably afford one every, like every three weeks. I would buy like an ice cream sandwich and I thought that was why I was overweight. And so I became defeated. I blamed myself. I felt like it was my fault, but I felt powerless to do anything because if I did start counting calories or go low fat, right, the things in the 80s and 90s that were the go-to for, for weight loss, it didn't work. Or I would lose a couple of pounds and then not be able to maintain those dietary choices and just my weight would just shoot up. And so I ended up really having struggling with self-worth and self-esteem. Mm -hmm. And I kind of hid behind this wall of ambition and really unusually high work ethic for even a teenager. I was a violinist, so I hid behind music and, and practicing violin three, four hours a day. And I hid behind excelling academically. So I was a, an extremely good student. You know, I went to grad school. I got a PhD in medical biophysics. I was winning awards, my own grant as a, as a postdoctoral research fellow, which is very, very unusual. I had top cited papers and had my PhD led to a patent. And so wow. in large part, it was how I distracted myself from having to look in the mirror. It translated to really undervaluing everything about myself. So even though I was excelling academically, I was always a person who would enjoy the accomplishments for 10 seconds and then <laughs> separate on whatever. I mean, still a person who, as I reach a goal, I tend to set a new harder one to continue to work towards. But it's a less dysfunctional thing for me now. Now it's just part of being ambitious and creative and really caring about public health. Isn't that cool how this story, though, 
there's the, all these silver linings in the story, and I hear that often with talking to autoimmune patients is a similar feelings of guilt and childhood traumas and, and things, and then being able to look back and see, well, the silver lining is that this has been able to happen, and I'm like, in a way, I'm going, well, you wouldn't be who you are, this amazing person, <laughs> without some of those trials and tribulations. Well, I, I was very much molded by those experiences, and so much of who I am today is a direct result of them. I'm not just ambition and work ethic. I mean, being tired all the time also kept me out of trouble as a teenager while my friends were sneaking out of the house. I was going to bed at 8.30 p.m. But it fuels the passion that I have for creating science-based educational resources for the average person to really understand how diet and lifestyle choices are impacting their health. And that is something that I really feel that our general access to that information is very limited. It's in the sort of haze of all the misinformation that's also out there. So you kind of having to pick through to figure out what is valid and holds up to scientific scrutiny is, is very challenging for most people. And so our access to good information is limited. And then once we have that good information, our access to the practical resources of how do I apply this in my life is also limited. So I really try to focus my efforts on both sides of that. I mean, it's a little bit easier for me to focus on the educational piece because that's my background. But wherever I can distill that information to something actionable, you know, a really good example is when we talk about the role that sleep has in health and just how important it is for every single adult to be getting at least eight hours of sleep every single night consistently with the same bedtime, the same wake time. Well, I can translate that to something actionable simply by saying every single person needs a bedtime. It's not just for kids. And we need to respect our bedtime as an adult. So I can take that you know, scientific information that shows, for example, that even just having a variability in bedtime can increase risk of obesity by you know, something like 63%. I can take that information that shows for every half hour of sleep debt we have during the week, not even looking at whether or not you make up for it on the weekends, increases a risk of diabetes by 38%, right? I can take that science wow. and those some sometimes very scary statistics, but then I can just say, hey, this is the action step. The action step is figure out what your bedtime is. <laughs> Which is great. And I can hear a, a few people in my audience going, <laughs> yes, but a couple questions. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at Chumbacasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. 
I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Come to mind that I hear a lot from people with autoimmune is they can go to sleep, but due to pain or discomfort, they have trouble staying asleep. So they're not getting the full eight hours, even if mm-hmm. they have a bedtime. So do you have a couple of ideas of when someone says, well, I do have a bedtime and I am religious about that time, but gosh, I only sleep for a couple hours and then I wake up and I can't get comfortable again. Autoimmune disease can erode sleep quality in a few different ways. And depending on exactly what's going on, there's sort of different ways of addressing it. One of the things that happens with hypothyroidism is like I can fall asleep before I mean, five minutes horizontal doesn't matter where. As I, if I can oh. lie down, I can be asleep. Bravo! Anytime. <laughs> anytime. But you know, well, I've been like that my entire life. My sleep quality is not great. I spend much too much of my night in a light sleep, and I don't get as much deep restorative sleep. So I have to be really, really careful about my daytime choices in order to support better sleep quality. So that's sort of like one side of how autoimmune disease can erode sleep. The other one is pain, discomfort, and that kind of has a different solution. And then the other one is Mm -hmm. stress axis, so hormones that aren't working well, and that can have a big impact on sleep quality. So depending on exactly what's going on, there's some overlap. Things that just universally help sleep, one is working on circadian rhythm entrenchment, so that is bright light during the day, be outside for an hour. If you can't be outside for an hour, get a light therapy box for your workspace or your kitchen or wherever you are in the middle of the day. (laughs) And now you can get these like 10,000 lux little travel ones for 20 bucks and they work on batteries (laughs) like they, or they can plug in, but like they don't drain electricity like they used to. So that's a great option. And then the flip side of that is sleeping in a dark environment and having exposure to dim sort of red wavelengths of light in the evening. So we can biohack that by using lamps with red light bulbs once the sun goes down inside. Oh, exotic. Even fancier. You can go even fancier than that. So there's like Philips Hue light bulbs that you can control the color and brightness of the light bulb on your phone. So you can make those light bulbs bright blue and white during the day and then dim and red in the evening. And that's like super, super cool, especially if your light bulbs in their overhead light fixtures and then they'll have lamps with red light bulbs to turn on in the evenings. There's a a spectrum of investment into your lighting. I have to point out here, folks, that Sitting in front of your computer screen all day, it is not, not bright enough. One of those light boxes. And it is too bright in the evening. So if you're sitting in front of your computer in the evening, then that's a big problem. So if you do have to work in the evening, I would recommend installing Flux on your computer. It's free software. Isn't it's, that great? Uh, it's lovely. And I actually know. I can tell the sun's going down because my screen goes yellow. <laughs> I was like, I wasn't paying attention to the window, <laughs> but the sun must be going down now. Actually, Apple products now have a similar feature called Night Shift. It's now built into the most recent operating system. So you can tell it how dim and how yellow to, to make it. I have it on the like the dimmest, yellowest settings I can for the evenings. Then the other biohack is to wear what are called either blue blocking glasses or amber tinted glasses. Sometimes they're called melatonin glasses. This is basically anything from a $2 <laughs> pair of safety glasses from the hardware store that are just yellow lenses to you can spend $150 on a super trendy pair that usually have higher quality, more specific lenses in them. What they do is blue light has a hard time traveling through a yellow thing, right? It it literally blocks the blue light from going all the way through that lens. 
And what that does is it bypassing the brighter, bluer wavelengths of light that we might have in indoor lighting or on our television, for example, which is a lot harder to install efflux on. And it allows us to not have that blue light interfering with our dim light melatonin production in the evenings. And so we need to be thinking about dim reddish light for two to three hours before bedtime. And we need to be thinking about sinking our bedtimes as much as we can with the sun. I mean, there's obviously people have different challenges, right? Shift workers especially will have major challenges towards sinking with the sun. But when we can't sink with the actual sun, we can fake it with our light therapy boxes and our amber tinted glasses and our red light bulbs. You know, there's scientific studies proving that improved sleep quality and there's like side effects, right? So when you work with a blue light beside you, it increases focus and mental clarity. Wow, I didn't know that. That's an important one. There's actually some technical schools in California that are putting blue lights in all of their classrooms because their students perform better. It's such a simple fix to even just try. You know, oftentimes we're saying, oh, so many of these things are so expensive. But to me, I'm thinking... Not just autoimmune, but just, no, it just an in overall general. work hack. Sleep is, <laughs> sleep is always the lowest priority. We as a society mm-hmm. tend to sleep with whatever time is left after we've finished our to-do lists rather than having sleep be an item on our to-do list. And so what these types of things do is they actually train our hormones to cycle properly so that our body starts preparing itself for sleep. And this is the goal, right? We train our bodies to sleep at the same time every single day so that our body's expecting it. So yes, your last hour of the day, you're going to be pretty low energy because your body's getting ready for sleep and you're not going to want to go out for a 9 p.m. workout anymore. But we can shift our days around expecting that. But it almost then takes away that ability to ignore our signals because we're making our body signals be so loud. And that doesn't mean that you can't stay awake for an occasional late night. (laughs) I definitely have found that the occasional late night, I feel it a lot more because it's a much bigger shock for my, my system. But then my normal every day, I have so much more energy during the day. My, you know, I spend a lot of time reading science and writing and I can get two or three times as much done per time commitment when I'm well rested than if I'm letting a deadline start keeping me up at night and I'm not respecting my bedtime anymore. I'm like, well, hang on. So I I gave up an hour's worth of sleep, but I basically got half as much done during my seven hour workday. Was that a good trade? Absolutely not. I have a question you said about retraining our hormones. How long does that take? I'm thinking in my mind, when will I start to see the effect? of the retraining? It depends on how dysregulated they are. So stress is another big input here. Our sleep-wake cycles are really regulated by melatonin, which is the sleep hormone, and cortisol, which is the stress hormone. And cortisol has a natural fluctuation during the day. That's a normal thing. Like it has a lot more roles in our body other than fight or flight. And so cortisol turning on in the morning is one of the things that wakes us up and gets us focused and gets us ready for the day. Cortisol is starting to decrease in the evening while melatonin is coming up is the thing that gets us ready for sleep. And so they have this concert. All of the light things are really about melatonin. We can regulate melatonin really well and actually very quickly, right? You can see the effects in a single day. So in a day where you spend a lot more time outside, you have a much higher melatonin secretion in the evening. It is that sensitive. But if cortisol is not well regulated as well, 
that sort of interferes with melatonin effects. So you can have this great regulated melatonin, and then if your cortisol is too high in the evening, that's going to erode sleep quality, make it hard to fall asleep. Or it's a really classic reason for waking up in the middle of the night is cortisol being too high overnight or coming on too early in the morning. That requires more persistence because that requires resilience activities. So those are things that regulate our physiological responses to psychological stressors. So going for a walk in nature, yoga, mindfulness practice, getting enough sleep is actually a resilience activity. And it also requires dealing with extreme stressors. So chronic stress is, in many ways, it's impossible to get away from. Reducing stress where we can is a very worthy goal. The top priority then is what are the things that always completely throw me for a loop. So is it I'm working too long of hours and I need to figure out how to be able to pare that back? Is it a toxic relationship? Is it too many commitments? I volunteered for too many different activities or you know, whatever it is. Boundaries is a big one I yeah. find with autoimmune. Uh, a lot of people I know that have autoimmune will raise their hand when they say, yeah, I should have said no. <laughs> I have this problem with boundaries. Isn't it interesting? I very much that same way. I want to be everything for everybody except for the caregiver for myself. Mm. And I really have to shift my mindset to it's great to be able to volunteer in my kid's school. But if they see me volunteer once a month, that's amazing. I don't have to be in their classrooms twice a week. We'll be back right after this quick commercial break. Life Interrupted Radio will return after these messages from our sponsors. It's great sponsors like these that keep this show coming to you every week. Be sure and stop by lifeinterruptedradio.com to learn more. This episode is brought to you by mindfulnessinactionbook.com. To get your free four-minute guided meditation to relax, refresh, and renew in just four minutes. And who doesn't have four minutes? Stop by mindfulnessinactionbook.com now. This guided meditation is in handy MP3 format, so you can use it anywhere, anytime. Download it now at mindfulnessinactionbook.com. Your conscious lifestyle on steroids. Om Times Radio. IOM FM. Humanity Healing International is a small nonprofit with a big dream. Since 2007, HHI has been working tirelessly to bring help to communities with little or no hope. Our projects are not broad mandates, nor are they overnight solutions, but they bring the reassurance that no one is alone and that someone cares. To learn more, please visit humanityhealing.org. Humanity Healing is where your heart is. Hello, I'm Lisa Berry. Join me every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time for Light on Living. A chance to see new, hear different, and feel more as I shine the spotlight on all the ways to lighten the load of life's challenges. Light on Living is your link to that new way you're looking for, that new understanding that will enhance your life, and that positive connection that will support your growth. So join me and you'll gain insight and start to see things in a new way that motivates you. I'm Fidel Nshombo. I was born in a city called the Bukavu in the Congo. We were a loving family. And then, boom, everything that I had disappeared in a single day. People think that when you are a refugee and they resettle you to America, and all your problems are done. They don't understand that that's the beginning of everything. I was not born a refugee. I was made one. 
It's time we welcome refugee families with open arms. Learn more at EmbraceRefugees.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Welcome back, everyone, to the Autoimmune Hour on Life Interrupted Radio. I'm Sharon Saylor, and I'm here tonight with Dr. Sarah Ballantyne. And the other thing that I want to share is that, reflecting back, we've had Dr. David Clark on, who talks about adverse childhood experience also being uh, this uh, sometimes a surprise part of our cortisol and our stress levels. Because it happened so long ago, we often think, well, that isn't playing a part in my stress now. It's a memory, it's a bad memory, whatever, but it can't be playing a part now. And in all of his years of work with 7,000 patients realizing that mm, a lot of times these adverse childhood experiences or early traumas do play out as physical symptoms, especially as we age. And so as just to the listeners, refer back to Dr. David Clark's podcast with here on the Autoimmune Hour or Sarah Payton's as well. Those would be great if you're thinking, hmm, I don't really have any real stressors right now. Reflect back. There might be something from the past that is uh, experiencing as a physical symptom now. Absolutely. And sometimes we can hit the sort of maximum of what we were able to control in our lives in terms of stressors, and it's still not enough. That's okay when that happens. The strategy then is to work on increasing resilience activities. So mindfulness, I think, is the really the most effective. It's been very, very thoroughly studied in the scientific literature, and it's the lowest time commitment. So we know from scientific studies that 10 to 15 minutes of mindfulness practice daily, and it doesn't have to be continuous. It can be three five-minute sessions or five three-minute sessions Mm -hmm. throughout the day. We know that those are incredibly effective at modulating our stress responses to the stressors that we have no control over. So that is a very useful strategy. And there's tons of free resources out there for people to learn about mindfulness. There's a lot of podcasts, apps. We start with sort of guided meditations, breathing exercises. There's a lot of resources out there for for taking that on. And that can have a tremendous... With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And this impact on sleep by itself. It's funny that you bring that up. Over at mindfulnessinactionbook.com, there are a bunch of free four-minute guided meditations, so just a little 
plug for my own work over there. <laughs> and so th right before we have to break for this quick commercial, you had one final hack for us. Yeah, so pain is a whole separate thing. When it comes to pain waking us up, there are some natural solutions, some dietary choices that can help dramatically with especially joint pain. So we know, for example, that a diet very, very high in DHA and EPA, so those are the long chain omega-3 fats that we get from fish can dramatically reduce pain for people with RA or, or similar sort of joint pain associated with autoimmune disease, and that that is known to improve sleep quality. And then there's other very natural pain relievers like turmeric that are things that are available. But when it comes to pain being the thing that's waking us up, you know, there's options. And that's where having a conversation with a doctor is, is really important because we know that sleep deprivation actually increases our pain responses. So they've done studies where they took people who got enough sleep and people were sleep deprived and they did the like ice challenge where you stick your hand in a big bucket of ice until you can't stand it anymore. And the people who were sleep deprived had much shorter times in with their hands in the ice before they had to like take it out because they felt pain more strongly. So there's this weird back and forth where if you can effectively deal with pain to be able to get on top of sleep, your pain will be less. It's a worthwhile having a conversation with a healthcare provider about options that are appropriate for your particular health situation for pain relievers to help improve sleep quality so that you can kind of get through that initial hump and, and then speed up healing afterwards. And there is that initial hump. I remember some of the time in my early diagnosis that uh, the pain was extreme and I actually realized some of the things that I've been doing prior to that with my diet and things had actually been contributing to the pain and once I switched and as you said got over that hump it was a moment of like the door opening I'm like wow I can't believe that those choices were increasing the pain and that was su such a surprising moment for me not only from the standpoint of pain but that moment of the light bulb goes up, hmm, you are the choices that you make every single day. Everything you put into your mouth is a choice. We need to take a quick commercial break and we'll be back with Dr. Sarah Ballantyne when we get back. And we're going to talk about some of those dietary choices because we've got one of the leading experts on paleo and paleo and autoimmune. So we'll talk to her about the autoimmune protocol with paleo as well once we get back from this quick commercial break. The best of holistic, spiritual, and conscious world. Om Times Radio. IOM FM. Ascending Hearts is no ordinary dating site, but a spiritual dating site with a purpose, to link you with your soulmate. We engineer the serendipity so you can trust that you will attune with someone that has the same matching vibration as you. Ascending Hearts, the conscious dating site for the spiritually aware. Try Ascending Hearts for free ascendinghearts.com My name is Victor Furman. Some call me The Voice. I've always been fascinated with human nature, spirituality, science, and the crossroads at which they meet. Join me Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern on Ohm Times Radio, and we'll explore these topics and so much more on Destination Unlimited. What are all the things you witness online in a day? Cats playing piano, selfies on your feed, your friend's picture being turned into a nasty meme that's been shared 50 times, 51, 52, 
When someone's being bullied online, it's hard to know what to do. Now you can speak up with the witness emoji. It looks like an eye in a speech bubble, and it's in the symbol section near the clocks in your phone. You'll let the world know it isn't cool, and you'll let your friend know you care. Learn more at eyewitnessbullying.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Welcome back, everyone, to the Autoimmune Hour on Life Interrupted Radio. I'm your host, Sharon Saylor, and we're here today with Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, who's the award-winning creator of the paleomom.com, the Paleo View podcast, and the New York Times bestselling author of The Paleo Approach, The Paleo Approach Cookbook, The Healing Kitchen, and a creator of the online program, Go to Bed. And this first part of the program, we've been talking about that very important part that's often lo- overlooked, and even by our medical professionals, and that's go to bed. The quality of our sleep determines our health. And now we're going to talk about all these ideas of what is paleo, how can it help us, and Sarah is also an expert in this uh, autoimmune protocol part of paleo. So we'll talk to her about what parts of paleo, if we have autoimmune, are good, and what parts should we maybe be a little more alert to? So welcome back to the, the autoimmune hour here, Sarah. Let's uh, let's first start. It's, I think we all think what's paleo, it's okay. It's I've heard people tell me it's meat and potatoes, but that's not paleo. So <laughs> <laughs> No, paleo is a whole foods, nutrient-focused diet, and it's really a diet that holds foods to a higher standard than any other dietary template and really looks at what is in a food that is health promoting. So that's nutrients. What is in this food that is going to provide the raw materials that my body needs for all of the chemical reactions that are happening in it in every moment? And so what's in that food that's going to be good, that's going to support my health, that's going to nourish my body with vital nutrients? And then what is in that food that might undermine my health that might disrupt hormones or negatively impact gut health or maybe potentially be inflammatory. And there are certain foods that are black and white. So there's great nutrient dense, right? Vegetables, uh, seafood, organ meat that you can't beat in terms of the nutrients per calorie. These are the superfoods that need to form the basis of any health promoting diet. And then there's foods that are clearly inflammatory. Uh, Wheat, for example, we know there's compounds in wheat that stimulate the immune system. There's compounds in wheat that negatively impact the health of the gut barrier. It feeds the wrong types of bacteria in our digestive tract. And when you're talking about a more refined product, you're talking about something that can also disrupt hormones, for example, by increasing insulin because of the blood sugar contribution from these foods. So you have foods that are clear winners and foods that really don't have any nutritional redeeming qualities whatsoever. And those are the foods that we avoid. Which includes processed foods. <laughs> it's all the junk, right. right? So processed and refined foods. But it also includes foods like we have this myth in our society that grains are the right the base of the food pyramid and we need to eat them for all their great fiber. And really, grains have only a couple of vitamins and minerals in them in any substantive quantities. Let me point out that's why our bread is often says fortified with minerals and vitamins. I think a lot of people aren't aware of that. <laughs> it's like <laughs> you got to put them back, you got to put them in. We add 
them into the product to up the nutritive value. And then you're still only adding usually four or five, a handful of different B vitamins and some iron. Like it's not like if you compare that to a vegetable, vegetables typically have 10 to 100 times more nutrients plus having non-essential nutrients that are still super important, like antioxidant phytochemicals, for the same amount of fiber and typically fewer calories, because we don't have a shortage of calories <laughs> in our food supply. We have a massive shortage of important nutrients. When you replace dinner roll or pasta serving or even serving of rice on your dinner plate with a vegetable, you win every single time. There is not anything that a vegetable doesn't have way more of in terms of, of nutrients. It has just as much fiber. So if you're going to make the fiber argument, vegetables still win out and you don't have the problematic substances. Well, I'm glad you bring that up because one of the things that I want to interject here and get your opinion of is uh, gluten-free products really are not that much different in my mind than a gluten product. Other, It's missing a gluten, but it's highly processed. It's got a lot of other, it's got a lot of things I can't pronounce on the label. And so I'm glad you brought up this idea, replace it with a vegetable, because oftentimes we hear, well, I'll have just gluten-free pasta. Yeah, so it's interesting because I think there's a really big spread between different gluten-free manufacturers in terms of the actual nutrients of a product. So you can look at two different gluten-free breads and compare them against you know, a whole wheat bread, and one will have way less nutrition and one will have more. And so it really depends on exactly what the ingredients are, whether or not, you know, a lot of gluten-free products are also fortified. My daughters and I are all overtly, you know, gluten intolerant. So gluten's a no-go in our family at any time. So, but I look at gluten-free products as it's okay for an occasional treat. Like I will occasionally buy gluten-free hamburger buns for my kids. I mean, the hamburgers they're eating have a third of its liver. And so I balance it out that way. I think it's okay for us in general, have a little bit of suboptimal foods in our diet. With autoimmune disease, it can be a lot harder because a lot of these foods are triggers. I know that I have to keep my own diet far, far, far stricter than what my kids can get away with. But I think that so much of this journey is, first of all, really using this much more rigorous metric for identifying the role that a food should play in our diet and really understanding foods in a much more detailed way than I think most of us even think about. And then the other side of it is getting through our own health journeys, you know, getting far enough down that path to have a really good sense of our own individual tolerance to this entire world of foods that are in between. So there's, as I said before, there's like black and white, there's yes foods and no foods. Then there's this whole range of foods in between that have maybe some great nutrients in them, but then also maybe some inflammatory compounds. I mean, the best example is tomatoes. You know, tomatoes are really, really high in some great, you know, vitamins and phytochemicals, right? They're super high in lycopene, choline, carotenoids. Like they've got some really compelling, great nutrition in them. And they also have some of the most inflammatory compounds in them that we can find in any food. So like alpha-tomatine, which is a glycoalkaloid, has been investigated for use in vaccines as an adjuvant because it's so good at ramping up the immune system. And we know that tomato lectin, which is an agglutinin, Glutenins are proteins that are very, very good at getting across the gut barrier intact. So we have a hard time digesting it, gets across the gut barrier intact, causes red blood cells to clump together, and also is highly inflammatory. So tomatoes have a couple of these 
really inflammatory compounds in them while also having compelling nutrition. So where do we put this on the list? Well, the paleo autoimmune protocol would say, let's cut out anything that is potentially problematic. Let's, let's really just stick with the yes foods. Let's just go super, super clean with our diets, really focus on nutrient density. The immune system is a huge nutrient hog. It's, it needs these nutrient resources in order to function. Let's focus on those foods. And then we're going to put these gray foods and no foods in a pile together to play with later. So once we start feeling better, our immune systems are regulating themselves, we're dealing with the lifestyle factors like stress and sleep, then we get to experiment and we get to see how sensitive am I personally to tomatoes? Because there is a spectrum. We are individuals and our genetics influences this, our health history, so how long we've had our autoimmune disease, how aggressive it is, how much damaged tissue there is, what autoimmune disease exactly was, our nutrient status, are we still deficient in anything even after you know changing our food intake? And that might come from just missing something, right? Oysters are the highest food source in zinc. So if we're not eating shellfish, some people can have a hard time getting enough zinc. So are we missing something? Or maybe it can come from just inefficient digestion or inefficient nutrient absorption that happens, especially in people with autoimmune diseases that affect the gut tissues themselves. Sleep status, are we getting enough sleep? Stress levels, activity, all of these things impact how our bodies will respond to suboptimal foods. And that means that we need to respect that there is a level of individuality here. And it becomes then part of this bigger journey. So it becomes not just a, you know, the autoimmune protocol, it has an elimination phase, and then a reintroduction phase. And the eliminations, it's it's really sophisticated thought processing that goes into creating that list of foods to eat. But it also respects the fact that there is a spectrum in terms of what our individual bodies need to heal. And so we get to then play around with that and really understand our own bodies. And that's very empowering. When I first started doing the elimination and and understanding what part of food was playing in my autoimmune condition, two things came to mind. was in your opening statement, you said about the chemistry when I was talking to Dr. Perlmutter, he gave me this wonderful metaphor for it. He said, anything you put into your mouth alters the chemistry. You're just one big chemical <laughs> soup. <laughs> and you're, change, you're changing the soup, whether you're putting in a medication or you're putting in a, an artichoke or uh, you're putting in a, a here it is, uh, some bison bone broth or whatever. You're changing the chemistry of the soup. And I love that metaphor. It gave me like, oh, I get it now. This choice, food choice, is a much bigger part than I had been giving it. It's a, it's a huge part, and I had only been giving it a, oh, this tastes good kind right. of part. The, which brought me to, um, how do you feel about food journals? That was very helpful for me because when I first started eliminating, I wrote it all down as I started the reintroduction process, and I wrote down, oh, got runny nose, or wow, really felt itchy afterwards. So I would remember, I found more my health returned, the more I forgot of like, oh, well, I can just splurge on. But if I would, that one little thing, and the more I go back and look at the food journal, I say, oh, that's right. Maybe I need to be a little more cautious about that particular one because I got real runny nose or real itchy or something like that when I ate it. 
I think food journals can be incredibly powerful. And now they are limited by our ability to observe ourselves. So if we're somebody who is just determined that we are going to be fine with ice cream (laughs) and we're going to ignore how ice cream really makes us feel, writing it down is not necessarily going to be the magic thing that makes us suddenly aware. But I think that when we're talking about reintroductions, you're looking not necessarily for food allergies, but food intolerances and sensitivities. Those are different mechanisms in the body that what's happening with an allergy. An allergy is typically a very fast response, but intolerances and sensitivities can start anywhere between four hours after eating the food and eight days. And so when we- Wow, so you don't even know what to sometimes. Because if it's eight days, you've obviously eaten something else. Right, you've eaten a lot of things in between. Um, (laughs) And I mean, the the peak is more like two days, generally, for, for most reactions. But it makes it very, very difficult to be methodical about reintroductions without a food journal. And so a food journal becomes about monitoring symptoms for days. And then right, like the thing of, you mentioned runny nose, symptoms like that can be really tough to decipher. So when we're doing food reintroductions, I always say, you know, you need to be healthy. You need to be getting enough sleep. You need to be in your routine. There can't be any travel or break in routine. And that doesn't mean, I mean, I have done this is right. Every, every AIP person has done this where we've traveled and been at a restaurant and been like, and now is when I'm going to challenge potatoes, right? And we just go like, (laughs) because I'm in this restaurant, they look so good. And that's what I want to eat right now. And so, yeah, I mean, that's not a great way to do it because then if you feel rotten afterwards, you don't really know, was it the potatoes? Was it the jet lag? So the methodical way to do it is to wait every five to seven days or even eight days only reintroduce one new food over that period of time and monitor daily for any kind of GI symptom, any kind of sort of allergy, runny nose, itchy eyes, sore throat, scratchy throat, sneezing, any kind of skin changes, rashes, acne, dry skin, any kind of mood changes, fatigue, depression, sort of a feeling irate, and then any symptom that's associated with your diagnosed diseases. And that's sort of your list of things that you watch out for. And when in doubt, you just kind of set that food aside and then you try again later. And so if you get that runny nose and you're not sure if it's, oh, maybe I just got a virus while I was also introducing this food. Well, then you just like, just keep that food in the no list for now. And then in a month when you're sure you're healthy again, try again. And if you get that runny nose again, that's probably not a coincidence anymore. That's probably a symptom of a reaction. And so it can be a really long road to really methodically reintroduce foods, but the amount of confidence that you get from being that methodical when it comes to diet and and knowing our own wiggle room when it comes to suboptimal foods that we know that we're okay with, that makes travel easier, that makes eating in restaurants easier, that means living in a household where not everyone's eating the same easier. Once we can start reintroducing 
suboptimal foods. For example, the autoimmune protocol in its purest form would eliminate coffee. Not everybody does. And that's like, I'm okay with if you can do everything else, as long as you have your one cup of coffee in the morning, then that's your currency and you buy in and you just go for it. But the purest form of the autoimmune protocol would eliminate coffee. So can add quality of life to be able to successfully reintroduce that food. You know, I personally had to go without it for 15 months before I had a reaction the first time I tried to reintroduce it after eight months. So I went another seven months without it and then I was fine reintroducing it. So it can add a great sort of quality of life to be able to get through those. But when we're rushing it or we're not paying a lot of attention to symptoms, it stops becoming reintroductions and starts becoming the slippery slope back to food addiction and eating for flavor instead of for nourishment. And that doesn't mean that eating for nourishment is not flavorful. But when we're bombarded with these hyper palatable foods that have no nutrition to offer us, but are really inexpensive and convenient. And that may have been a habit as well, right. that we just crave that old soothing habit. Or something. I mean, I still have nightmares where I'm eating pizza and I'm overtly gluten and dairy sensitive and nightshade sensitive. So that's the tomatoes, the pepperoni, the cheese, the crust. It's all of it. And I still have this recurring nightmare eating my, I'm halfway through my fourth slice. I'm always halfway through my fourth slice. <laughs> this tells you a lot about my relationships from with food from, from the olden days. Yeah, I think we can all absolutely relate to it too, though. I'm, I'm laughing with you, not at you for sure, because I have those same types of feelings. And this has been fantastic. We're just about out of time. We're going to have this quick commercial break. Connecting you with the best of the conscious minds in the world. Om Times Radio. IOM FM. Change and growth are part of natural life and also part of your spiritual life. Everyone needs support and guidance, especially during life passages. Upgrade yourself with the Om Times Experts program. With Om Times Experts, you have access to the best intuitive coaches, spiritual teachers, counselors, astrologists, and oracles. Our team was carefully selected so you can trust. Find out more at experts.omtimes.com. Grab a cup of tea or a glass of wine and tune in for inspired conversations with publisher Linda Joy on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern. Linda creates sacred space for leading female luminaries, empowering authors, heart-centered female entrepreneurs, coaches, and healers. A soulful venue where guests openly share the fears and obstacles they've overcome, wisdom and lessons learned, and the personal journey that led them to the transformational work they do in the world. Inspired conversations to empower you on your path to authentic, soulful living. Hey, Dr. Phil here. You know, I help people solve difficult problems every day, but one problem has me stumped, childhood hunger. Nearly 16 million children in America struggle with it. Luckily, the Feeding America network of local food banks collects surplus food, giving hope to hungry children and their families. But they need your help. Join me in supporting Feeding America and your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council.
Welcome back, everyone, to the Autoimmune Hour on Life Interrupted Radio. I'm your host, Sharon Saylor, and we're here today with Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, who's the award-winning creator of the paleomom.com. This has been fantastic. We're just about out of time. We're going to have to have you back, Dr. Sarah, because you are such a wealth of information. I was just writing furiously here notes to myself. Please share with us how they can find out more about you and your just amazing work. Thank you. If you go to thepaleomom.com, you can link to everything that I do from there. If you're interested in knowing more of the science behind the autoimmune protocol that is completely explained in excruciating detail in The Paleo Approach, which is my first book. And then I have two autoimmune protocol cookbooks, The Paleo Approach Cookbook and The Healing Kitchen, which are just great practical resources. And I have a new book coming out September 2017 called Paleo Principles, which is the broader science behind the paleo diet as a whole. So if, you, if you're if you a person who is sort of intrigued and, and you want to really understand what's the big deal behind this thing that's really not just meat and potatoes, it's actually a plant-based diet. But if you want to know more, those those are my two sciences is Paleo Principles and, and the Paleo Approach. And then from the paleomom.com, you can link to Go to Bed, my online sleep program, my podcast, The Paleo View, my social media channels, and any new things that I might have on the go when you get there. And a great blog. And I just want to point out the entire URL, the www.thepaleomom.com. Oftentimes when there's that the in there, people aren't sure if that's part of the web address. There's only one paleo mom. That's well, there actually is not. There's there's plenty. But that's why it's <laughs> the, the paleo mom. I write a lot of in-depth articles breaking down the science behind different topics related to health. So I get on her mailing list too, because she sends out really great and stuff. And great it's, freebies. You can get to the mailing list just from the homepage, but I send out a Paleo Quick Start Guide when people sign up for the mailing list. Every single weekly newsletter, we have something amazing in it. So we've sent out coupon books and we've sent out ebooks, snack guides, and we always try to have some amazing, super useful content every single week. That's fantastic. I hate to let you go. We're going to have to have you back in September when your new book comes out because this is just fantastic information that we're all craving for, Dr. Sarah. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on my show and look forward to hearing more about all your amazing work. Oh, thank you. Everyone. As always, go have a great weekend, whatever your adventures. Enjoy. The information provided on LifeInterruptedRadio.com is for educational purposes only. What you hear, read, and see on Life Interrupted Radio is based on experience only. The information presented here should never be used for any legal, diagnostic, or treatment purposes. Always seek sound legal, medical, and or professional advice regarding any problems, conditions, and any of the recommendations you see, hear, or read here on Life Interrupted Radio. You've been listening to Life Interrupted Radio. To learn more, listen to other shows, and gain free resources that can help empower your life, be sure to stop by lifeinterruptedradio.com. This episode is brought to you by MindfulnessInActionBook.com. To get your free four-minute guided meditation to relax, refresh, and renew in just four minutes, and who doesn't have four minutes? Stop by MindfulnessInActionBook.com now. This guided meditation is in handy MP3 format, so you can use it anywhere, anytime. Download it now 
at mindfulnessinactionbook.com. Do you want to be a better leader, have better relationships, become more self-aware, be a better communicator? Hi, I'm Sharon Saylor, best-selling author, professional speaker, and executive coach. And my life passion is empowering professionals to be the best that they can be. After years of working with professionals, I've discovered the seven things nobody is telling you that can cost you your clients, sales, and even your career. And I want to give it to you free. You've heard my show. You know my passion. And maybe we'll be working together sooner rather than later. So go grab this ebook now to find out the seven things that's costing you big time over at SharonSailor.com forward slash radio gift.